As Hurricane Florence made landfall on Friday, September 14th, near Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, meteorologists were forecasting that roughly 10 million gallons of rainfall would impact North Carolina and the surrounding states. You heard me right, 10 million gallons. Just let that sink in for a minute. To try and put that into perspective, that's enough to fill 15 million Olympic-sized swimming pools, 36,000 Empire State Buildings, and 60 million Washington Memorials. How can we even communicate something that is so hard to imagine? Join us as we talk all about the communication challenges and successes that took place during Hurricane Florence. From the use of the term weakening to the debate surrounding the Saffir-Simpson scale, we have it all on this episode of Weather Hype. A podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. I'm Castle. And I'm Min. More on the communication challenges and successes of Hurricane Florence, coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm When I get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better so we have Hurricane Florence impacting the United States all the way from South Carolina, North Carolina, all the way up to the New England states. And as of the 2018 hurricane season, Hurricane Florence is the most impactful storm we've had as of yet. So Castle and I are going to talk about that a little bit and dive into the statistics and some of the communication challenges and successes from Hurricane Florence and also a few other things that we think will be very interesting. Um, but Castle, we can start off with some of the uh, some of the numbers from Hurricane Florence. It dumped a ton of rain over North Carolina and South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Some of the impacts from Hurricane Florence were staggering. We from heavy rains. Uh, we even saw record rainfall in North Carolina, specifically in Swansboro, around thirty five point nine three inches of rain. Which, whew, even that, that's like three feet, right? Yeah, twelve times three is thirty six. Yeah. So. Um, around three feet of rain, so like half the average person. Um, it's just crazy. Yeah. And that in itself makes it a new record for the most rainfall from a single tropical system in North Carolina. So yeah, it's pretty crazy thinking that just two years ago, Hurricane Matthew dropped a ton of rain over the same areas of eastern North Carolina, and they had so many issues mm-hmm. with flooding. And you know, I was in grad school there, and, and Greenville got really flooded. All the water came down the rivers. I think this time around, a lot of the uh, rainfall was from you know the storm, but also storm surge helped to add to the flooding as well. So it was a double you know, double whammy for some parts of eastern North Carolina, which made it really crazy. Um, unfortunately, as of uh, the 18th of September, 35 people um, have died from uh, different injuries or um, different exposures to the storm, from drowning to trees falling down in their home. Um, and also, I think I read that somebody was plugging their generator in um, outside in the rain and they got electrocuted. So there were a lot of... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, really unfortunate. Um, and I mean, as of right now, there are a ton of structures in North Carolina and, and Virginia and South Carolina that are flooded. And this yeah. whole entire ordeal is ongoing. Um, and it's really, really crazy to see because it doesn't it remind you of hurricane harvey a little bit in houston it does yeah it does a lot i think a lot, a lot of, people, of similarities yeah because the mm-hmm. storm even though it made landfall on friday uh that was the 14th of september i think on friday 
And it just sat there. And that was what forecasts were calling for. So, you know, kudos to the hurricane forecasters and everybody um, looking at the information because they were saying the storm wouldn't just make landfall and go inland. It would sit there for quite some time. And and that it did. It sat there for a while and kept on dumping rain, all these bands of rain coming in from the Atlantic and just, you know, training over the same exact areas and you know, dropping like that 36 inches you said in someone's bro. It's insane to think that that much rainfall could happen in just a few days. Yeah. And if we continue with the numbers, the um, more than 15,000 people are in shelters currently in North Carolina, 6,400 in South Carolina and 400 in Virginia, um, which I think is great that those shelters are there and being able to house people and and help them um one of our friends shana her family lives in wilmington north carolina um so they had to evacuate and she initially was trying to get them to go to a shelter um but back when they started evacuating uh hurricane florence was a category four at the time Mm -hmm. and most of the shelters in their area were not built to withstand a a category four yeah so they had completely shut those shelters down and they weren't options okay um so it's i'm really glad to see that there were shelter options available and that people are being able to to stay there and to seek shelter there so that's it's great that those numbers are there yeah and you know speaking of shayna i have a few friends who are in that area as well they either have family there they have homes in that uh, eastern Mm -hmm. north carolina and um, some of those people I've seen have said that their houses were destroyed or, you know, one of my friends said that his family house that had like a lot of flooding in the bottom level and will require a lot of repair to the, to the home. So a lot of people were not very lucky and, you know, a majority of people I'd say haven't even been able to go back to see the damage in their towns oh, yeah. because they can't even get back to the cities because the highways are either covered in water rivers or yeah, yeah. it's literally a river on the highway. Or um, yeah. as my friend, uh, our friend Noah, um, he was doing research out there with the uh, University of Oklahoma through Noah, and he said that he was stuck in his hotel for quite some time. And finally was able to make it out late yesterday. He a road opened to go out westward towards Columbia, South Carolina, and they were able to get out. But they were stranded. Bridges were collapsed around them. Um, water was everywhere. Holy cow. Yeah, and it's it's pretty much another Harvey again. But so soon, it seems like we're getting these events so much more frequently. And maybe I don't know. It's just it seems very interesting, but um, really unfortunate. And you know, a lot of different details that we're going to be following. Um, as far as swift water rescues, kind of going back to some of those people, um, luckily, I feel like we had a lot of early evacuation orders, um, which was really great um, and good to see from those areas. Um, but as of today, there have been more than 2,600 swift water rescues that have been made in North Carolina. Other other uh, numbers that go along with Hurricane Florence include power outages um, as of yesterday morning, which was Monday morning, September 17th. About 511,000 people were out of power, most of those being in North Carolina. When we're thinking about the flights, there were more than 2,400 flights that were canceled because of the storm. And then finally, if we think about the economic losses uh, that potentially going along with Hurricane Florence, those are still being estimated and totaled at this time. But based on some early estimation, it appears that 
perhaps at least 17 billion to 22 billion dollars um, and that includes both property damage and disruption of economics due to hurricane florence is uh, being kind of forecast at this time or estimated and it may even continue to rise as we're continuing to see rainfall and flooding and potentially other uh, hurricanes later this season so all those statistics aside looking at some of the you know i guess hot button issues or topics that the weather community has talked about um what's one thing there have been lots oh yeah there are many (laughs) we're gonna try to cover as many as we can um but i kind of want to start off with the um different uh, ways of conveying that you know hurricane florence was going from a category four which is at its peak it never reached category five correct it was only at category four and then it started yeah um to my knowledge yes then it started to quote-unquote weaken and turn into category three two one then tropical storm then depression but when we use the term weakening or downgrade as you know as a reporting on the storm there are some issues with that right what do you what do you think about when you think about something weakening you think that it's going to be less impactful Mm -hmm. to you it's not going to be as strong and so There were so many things that I saw on social media saying like, oh, you know, it's weakening. So, you know, from a person who lives there, they are like, well, I'm not going to leave now. It's only going to be a cat two or cat one when it hits. Other people are saying, you know, the weather community or the media is hyping it again, making it seem like this crazy catastrophic storm when it wasn't that bad at all. And I'm like, see, these are two different messages or two different um, things that I'm hearing that really are frustrating because when we say weakening, we don't talk about the other things. We don't talk about the fact that the wind field of Hurricane Florence expanded as it, you know, quote unquote, weakened and headed closer to the coast. Right. The tropical storm force winds expanded, you know, much further out from the um, from the eye compared to what it was when it was a little bit more compact and a stronger hurricane. So, you know, these are things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about the prolonged storm surge, the prolonged, you know, heavy rain that was going to be, you know, regardless of what the category would be, that was always going to be a threat. But when you say weaken and stuff, it just makes it seem like it's not going to be a big deal anymore. And that's just not the case. And I think that we were getting all of those messages out there. Like, I feel like we were saying that this is going to be a rain event. This is going to be a water event. The weather community continuously said those things that there's going to be like longer storm surge. And again, the wind field is expanding. So we're going to see more people may see wind impacts, mm-hmm. but it it's hard to like drill that down into a headline or a, a key message for people to, to walk away with. Yeah, And I think that's like a huge issue with kind of the way that we are required to message things because there are so many variables and things that go into how someone sees an impact and how someone doesn't see an impact. Yeah. And we kind of crave some way to just give the people what they want and just say like, Oh, here's a number that tells you whether you're going to be impacted or not, or here's a color that provides this information when in fact, it's a lot more complicated. The the science is so much more complicated than that. And we have to figure out how can we match our communication with that in order to really convey that this is kind of challenging. There are lots of different variables that go into this and each one kind of lends itself to perhaps a different insight or different information into how the storm is going to be different than the previous hurricane. So I think it's it's hard to really get that information down into some sort of bullet point that we can give out to people. And yeah. so when we think about this term, this word weakening, it, it comes across because that's what we use. We use the Saffir Simpson scale as a means to kind of convey 
hurricane potential to the general public, right? Yeah. So with the Saffir Simpson scale, okay, every year, every tropical season, we talk about it. Yep. Why can't we convey the intensity of a hurricane or the impacts of a hurricane differently without using the Saffir Simpson scale? Is there another alternative that we could use? And Mm -hmm. um, our friend Corey Piper, he tweeted, he was like, Yet another year where I have to hear he people <laughs> saying that we have to use something but that's the Saffir Simpson scale. We get it. And I agree. I'm like, there has to be something we can do. We keep talking about it year after year. Is there research going into something else that we can use? And no. again, what you said, it's really difficult because we want to try to compact everything, make everything really simple. And yeah. that goes from, you know, saying that it's a category one or a tropical storm or a category four making it as if it's that easy and every storm can fit you know neatly into that uh, in the confines of that descriptor and that's just not the case you know when people are using graphics to illustrate landfall or or where the hurricane is going we have the cone Mm -hmm. of uncertainty but then other broadcasters i saw were using different graphics of you know expanding linearly where the hurricane Mm -hmm. would would go and, and we were kind of projecting it like you know from this part of the coast to that part of the coast you have a extreme likelihood that it'll make landfall there and as you move further away from that center of the um that that new cone that they've made it was like oh less likely and i was like you know that's interesting and a lot of people in the weather community were saying well you can't oversimplify things because if you oversimplify it then you lose the science of all the different things that we're trying to convey with the hurricane the impacts and things like, like that that you know extend far out from the center of the storm but where do we draw the line of being too simple and not simple enough because you don't want to make it too complicated because there are other graphics. There was one from the National Hurricane Center, the arrival of tropical storm force winds. That graphic was floating around um, as a National Hurricane Center product. And people were like, well, this is really confusing because there was like a, a, you know, a kind of a cone of uncertainty that you normally see with a hurricane, but like no colors. And it's just kind of the outline. And it shows Mm -hmm. like different lines to suggest like when the earliest arrival of tropical storm force winds, which are 39 miles an hour or above to 73, um, when those were expected to arrive to the coast. And some of those lines were indicating that, you know, there would be tropical storm force winds up to like Kentucky and Ohio and stuff. And Georgia. And Georgia Mm -hmm. and like beyond that to like Alabama and Florida. And people were like, that's really misleading because tropical storm force winds are not expected anywhere in those areas. So why does that line go all the way up to that? And it's just kind of showing like the uncertainty of where the storm would go, I guess. Right. And the problem, it's like the probability, right? So yeah. when you, when you have those kind of lighter shades that end up going into Georgia and Kentucky and Tennessee, it's like 5% chance of seeing tropical storm force winds or whatever. Yeah. But it's kind of difficult to convey that uncertainty with, in addition to that graph. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to see that and trying to understand like, okay, if you put up different graphics that are different from the standard hurricane center cone, then are you confusing people? And it goes back to your whole consistency thing. Are we keeping consistent? Are different graphics right. more appealing to other people and still conveying a really important message? And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm glad we're talking about it. But there are good ways to talk about these issues and there are bad ways to talk about it. And that kind of leads me on to my next point about going on Twitter. So something that really, really bothered me was seeing all the noise that was on weather Twitter about, you know, different things. Like if you didn't agree with something that somebody posted, 
then people would get into these like all out like Twitter spats or brawls or something. And I was like, what's the point of doing that publicly? Because in a time that Hurricane Florence is, you know, barreling towards the Carolina coast, why do you need to add extra stuff onto social media that people can see? Like this is public. And there's always, you know, you know, mistrust of the information that we're providing. But if somebody were to decide if they wanted to evacuate or not, or they're making some kind of decision, and they went on social media and saw like meteorologists like feuding over each other about like something really minor, I feel like Mm -hmm. that would make them lose credibility. The meteorologists would lose credibility because they're engaging this kind of, you know, online warfare, I guess. And for me, I had posted a tweet and I was like, okay, guys, like, let's cut the crap. And just if you have an issue with something, you can say something politely and nicely. But if it escalates, take it to direct messages or take it offline yep. somewhere else. Because I don't exactly. I don't understand the point unless I mean, all I think of people doing that is they're just kind of like strutting their stuff and they're just like puffing their chest and like, haha, look at me. You know, I'm not going to give in to this. I'm, you know, I have my pride and I'm not going to be taken down by somebody on social media publicly. And the way I see it is like, okay, like set your side of your pride and worry about, you know, taking care of the people who live in your area and get the best information out to people that you can. But you can have this conversation. Just don't do it where everybody can see. Don't, you know, air out your dirty laundry for everyone to see. It doesn't look good for us as meteorologists and doesn't look good for you. Because when I see that kind of stuff, I take mental note of who is doing that kind of stuff. And um, it's just, it's not a good look for you. Trust me. And it matters in this small tight knit community. It's always challenging, especially when we have like a prolonged event, like you're going to have people that are tired and exhausted and tempers will likely flare. Um, but again, I like your, your recommendation of if, if you feel like you need to take the point a little bit further, like move to a private area of, uh, figuring out how can we think about this idea or discuss this idea in a calm manner in a more private setting. Um, if I've learned anything from the Real Housewives, it is that it is always <laughs> good to to if you have a problem with someone to not bring it up while you're in a group. Yes, <laughs> you need to go private um, as a as a way to really get that a little bit more worked out because because when you're out in public and you're you're sharing it amongst everyone then you have all these other people that are just joining in and it kind of just makes everything spiral out of control and really leads to some usually miscommunications about what the two people were actually discussing to begin with i mean it's like a high school fight in a courtyard right like everybody gathers around if you're in the fight you feel like holy crap like everyone's watching me like this is intense and you have all eyes watching you so you know, you want to continue to do it, but who's going to actually be like, okay, let's not fight here in the courtyard at high school. Let's take it, you know, and have a nice little conversation about it. I, I get it. Sometimes it can be hard when tempers are flaring, but be mm-hmm. the better person and suggest that and move it away from the public yep. domain. And then I think there can be real conversations that can happen. But until that, you're just going to be spatting with each other and nothing's going to happen. And then you'll be fuming. They'll be fuming. And then great. What did that accomplish? Probably nothing. But you know, and I guess we're talking a little bit about the negative stuff. There are some pretty good, you know, successes that came out of communicating about Florence. Yeah. Yes. Before we do that, though, I really want to come back to a point that you mentioned because I really liked it. And I want us to elaborate a bit on it, which is the idea of where do we walk the line between being too simple and kind of experts in our own field of communicating something. And I think that's something that we kind of 
think that the general public wants this really simple walk away gift package of what they should do with their using weather information. And I think that's kind of an assumption that we make sometimes as a community that can actually lead to some of our downfalls. When in reality, like a lot of people that we're communicating this information to are really hungry for it. Like they want to know more about the storm surge or the flooding or the wind, but we need to kind of think about how we're communicating those different aspects and make sure that we're fine tuning our communication efforts versus trying to always prepackage something that they can just walk away with. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of something that I just wanted to come back to really quick and and kind of talk through because I think it's really important because we always hear like, oh, the public needs simple, 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 when in fact that is probably not likely the case because they are information hungry in this kind of age of you can get all kinds of information out on the internet. So they are really interested in getting all the possible information and then making a decision based on that stuff. That's not, I'm not saying that's everyone, because again, this is like a personality thing. Some people are more interested in getting information, but I don't think we should count them out as always wanting this kind of simple takeaway, Saffir Simpson scale, uh, number or color or likelihood category. Yeah, we can't assume everyone in the public's dumb, which is I've something I've heard right. a lot of, like, they don't know what they're doing, they don't know what they're talking about, so we're going to make it super, super simple for them. No, that's not actually true. People are actually pretty intelligent. You got to give them sometimes yeah. some information, but the way we convey it to the masses, yeah, we should still exactly. keep it, you know, relatively like, let's not throw out a bunch of different ensemble models at people and be like, all right, correct, go for it, have at it, <laughs> try to figure out what's going on. Because I mean, I'm, as a meteorologist, sometimes I definitely don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to, instead of kind of working so hard to make things simple, we need to tweak how we as communicators are talking to people about all these different variables that are going into it. But yes, uh, to your point about some of the successes. Some of the good goods. Um, some of the, the good goods. <laughs> Never heard that. Uh <laughs> For me personally, I felt like there was a lot of really great uh, social media usage uh, with this storm, in particular thinking about how we are using timestamps um, to kind of overcome some of the chronological order algorithms or lack thereof. Um, so I really liked seeing a lot of meteorologists say, this update is from uh, Sunday at so-and-so time. Um, and also having people click on the option within Facebook to say, make sure this post is deleted on this date and this time. Because um, I really was not seeing a lot of old posts on Facebook in particular. So I thought that that was really great uh, to see because we've been we've been talking about this a lot, especially in the, the Matt Parker communication workshop that we had at the American Meteorological Society conference back in January. But it's really great to see a lot of people start using that in practice. Yeah. And I think with social media, while there were some things in the weather community where we were kind of arguing with each other, I think as a whole, everybody was doing such a great job of conveying some of those threats and impacts. And yeah, I get it. Like on my social media timeline, it's my group of friends, my group of people. But 
I couldn't help but be so proud of all of my meteorology friends who are, you know, still in school or, you know, young professionals who are going on their own Facebook timeline and, and letting their family and friends know, like, these are the impacts that you can expect, you know, doing a really good job of conveying that information. And for me, when I post on Facebook and for you as well, I think, you know, like, we're just trying to get some information out there to our family and friends, but I don't want right. them to rely on me. And I've found that sometimes I've had that um, issue where people are literally telling me they're waiting for me to post next so that they can get the latest oh, update. Dear. I've heard that before, but I always, at the end of my post, say, do not, you know, wait for me, listen to your local broadcasters or a trusted source for information, because I'm only here to give you some information. And, you know, that whole thing about people that know you, like you're establishing credibility because they already know you. So by me posting something and they, all my friends know I'm a meteorologist, so they trust me. And that level of trust is something that, you know, you can't build overnight. And these people may not trust the local meteorologists on TV because they just don't know them like they know me. So mm-hmm. by me posting something, I'm hoping to, you know, for, to get them to take action or to actually watch the local news and listen to their meteorologists. So I was really happy to see a lot of my peers doing that, posting on Facebook and Twitter letting their family and friends know and, and seeing their like grandma or auntie or, or uncle or grandpa being like, thanks for posting. Like I'm take, definitely taking action now, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that m- maybe we're making an impact in our own little bubble again, like just in our own family or friend groups. But mm-hmm. at least that's still, you know, pretty good. It's still a step in the right direction. It's not every single person in the world, but for every person we can save and get, you know, evacuated out of the area. I think that's a win. I agree. I think it was, um, I saw a lot of great posts and I think that whatever we can do as meteorologists to help other people is what's important. Yeah. And, you know, away from social media on the broadcast side of things, there are also good and bad things that we saw and observed. What was, uh, there was some stuff that you saw on TV that kind of irked you a little bit, right? Um, yes. <laughs> I forgot for a second, but yes. Um, I guess a lot of, uh, kind of the broadcasty successes and challenges surround the weather channel. Um, interestingly, um, they did some really awesome work communicating risk, but there are also some concerns that I have, um, both as a meteorologist, a social scientist and a viewer. Um, I personally don't like when they put broadcasters out on, TV that are out in the wind and the rain that are on a creaky dock next to the water. Ooh, that was um, so cringeworthy. That was so yeah. bad. I was re- I was watching it at work and I was like, why is he standing on a like a moving like dock out in the river and it's like literally swaying back and forth and I was like that he doesn't even have a life jacket on. What happens if he happens to slip and fall or a gust of wind blows him over? what would happen? You know, he could get hurt or worse. And I'm like, that can't be good. That was one of the worst examples I saw, but there were a few other ones you saw, right? Like weren't, weren't some of the meteorologists standing outside in the eye wall? Yeah. Somewhere in the eye wall. Um, in particular, like one broadcaster was standing next to a tree that just fell, which I was like, why are we doing this? Um, others were just out in the wind and the rain and I, I think it's one thing to kind of be in a safe place, make sure your crew is in a safe place. I saw Ginger Z like pointing out like how she was 
making sure her crew was protected and how they specifically picked this point because it was out of the wind and the rain, mm-hmm. but still got them a good shot of the impacts. Um, and I think that's great. And it's good to see that behind the scenes kind of breakdown of how they're choosing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even though some of the crew is protected and some of the people are protected in my mind, it's sending an opposite message of what we're telling people to do. We're telling people to evacuate, to stay inside, to get to higher ground. And instead, you see the Weather Channel and other broadcasters moving toward these bodies of water, like being on the dock or uh, being out in the eye wall. And to me, and I'm, people have different opinions on this, but me in particular, I just think it's important as meteorologists that we are an example. Yeah. And if we are telling people if we're screaming and losing all of our breath to tell people that they need to evacuate how can we at the end of the day say we've done everything we can if we ourselves are going the opposite direction and going into the danger no matter how protected you are and really showing like oh i'm out in it and this is what's happening and i don't know it, it just aggravates me that we as meteorologists are supposed to be kind of this this expert in this and we should know and be able to tell people when they need to change their behavior or to evacuate or to do something in particular. But then we go and do the opposite thing where we stand right next to the water on a creaky dock and show people what's going on. So many comments to that. Um, So there are people who say things like when people see things happening, then they are more likely to take action. But I think that more applies to I like tornadoes, not hurricanes. Cause like a tornado, when you see a tornado, like you're like, Oh, there's visual confirmation. Let me go take shelter. When you see a sky cam or, you know, video footage of a tornado near you and during a tornado warning. But for a hurricane, it's not like you see it and you're like, Oh, let me go take action now because you shouldn't be there. Like you should have evacuated a while ago. Right. So to me, yeah. the visual confirmation piece doesn't do anything except maybe be like justify it for those who did evacuate and like, Oh, glad I left or, Oh, they're standing there. Man, I shouldn't have left. Uh, I mean, there was always that joke that if Jim Cantore comes to town, like you should all get out. And right. I guess that's kind of true, but you know, there's so many different things in news and in media that kind of dictate what people do. So obviously it looks dramatic when you have a person and everybody out doing a, you know, stand up or a live shot in the middle of hurricane winds and rain, because they always try to get you next to a big body of water, um, or they try to do other stuff. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really interesting to see. But on top of that, um, I think these meteorologists, they crave being out there, and it makes them feel really cool, because as a meteorologist, I kind of want to experience a hurricane or you know tornado or whatever severe weather phenomena. It's pretty interesting to me. So... I'm sure that they're doing it. They're not, I don't think they feel uncomfortable or pressured into going to these places. I'm sure they all kind of want to be there doing their thing. But again, at what cost? Are we communicating this um, paradox of a message and saying, okay, well, you guys all left, but we're still here and we're good because we know what we're doing. I don't think anyone can predict like if a piece of debris flies and hits you and, and gets you hurt, you know? I don't think that's predictable, but which actually happened on camera at one point, someone got hit by a piece of flying debris and was like, Oh, and while they were doing the live shot, which was lovely, just fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and you know, in addition to the broadcast side of, of that, I, there was a lot of criticism of 
um, these hurricane chasers who were coming to town to get video footage of the hurricanes. And I saw people saying, okay, like, we get it if you're chasing tornadoes, you know, but if you're chasing a hurricane, like, what is the point of that? Like, you're broadcasting the message out to whom, to what? And yeah, granted, these people can sell their video. It's like their livelihood. They're going to sell the video to different media outlets and make the money off of it. Um, but they're saying that, you know, local people who are evacuating, they might try to get to a hotel, but they can't get to the hotels because there are these hurricane chasers who are taking up all the hotel space in some of the inland communities. Mm. And so a lot of these um, hurricane chasers are people who are coming into the area that's going to get hit by the hurricane rather than leaving are taking away precious resources from other people. Another thing I heard was um, gas, gasoline for your cars. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of stations are running out of gas, yet somebody said they saw that there was a hurricane chaser who filled up on a bunch of gas and then also um, filled up a bunch of extra bottles of gas. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, if you're coming into the area, at least fill up your tank and stuff well outside of the local area. Don't wait until you get to the, the area and then fill up and then use resources that people need to get out of the area. That's just being selfish. That was what I heard. It's not what I'm, I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm just conveying what I saw on uh, social media. Right. But I thought that was a really interesting point that I'd never really thought about before until this storm. So in addition to kind of thinking about these broadcasters being out in the conditions of the hur- of Hurricane Florence, another kind of negative aspect, well, it may be uh, up for grabs, whether it was negative or positive or neutral, I don't know, um, but... <laughs> One, uh, there was actually footage of a reporter giving kind of uh, a breakdown of what impacts they were experiencing and they were kind of bracing from the wind and moving, kind of shifting from side to side um, from the wind. But then in the background of the video, you you just see like two guys walking normally through yeah, a parking lot. Yeah, that was really awkward looking. Yeah, so you have this juxtaposition of like a meteorologist on camera that's kind of that looks to be struggling to stay upright from the wind, but then you have two people just walking normally in the background. So a lot of people it came became pretty viral. A lot of people saw it and were laughing at it and um, were kind of accusing the meteorologist of quote unquote faking it um, and making sure to kind of really sell the point that the wind was blowing really hard. And I don't know, I think personally that it kind of took away from a lot of the Florence coverage because this was kind of this viral video that everyone was sharing and everyone was talking about. And I can't even imagine that the potential loss in credibility and trust that may have come from this for the yeah, Weather Channel. But you know, I was going to say, so that, that was Mike Seidel and I, I think everybody knows that. So someone told me the Weather Channel issued a statement saying that you know, oh. trying to explain what had happened. I didn't read it, but they're trying I mean, to explain. Is it the one that I sent to you where the producer talked? Oh, gave her, oh, the, her the Facebook post. I yeah. know. Uh, I think it was an actual Weather Channel um, post or a Weather oh, Channel okay. like uh, release or something. But yeah, people have come to his defense saying that we don't know, understand the, you know, maybe there was some tunneling of the wind in that area. Right. Also, the wind was blowing from his face and then, you know, the wind was blowing at the other people's backs that were walking behind him. So that's why it didn't look that bad. Um, there are various, um, I guess, explanations or attempts to explain what was happening. And I feel for him because I've seen him do weather coverage before and, you know, it's been fine. So you know, for me, I kind of, I don't know if he did. I don't think he did, but put out an official statement from him saying, okay, this is what happened. This is what occurred. And, you know, really attack that problem or, you know, this whole viral myth, you know, 
attack it, nip it at the bud. Because if the longer you let it go, people are going to talk about it. And I get the point of people saying, okay, well, he didn't want to take away from the coverage of the hurricane and really wanted to focus on, you know, the flooding and the impacts. And, you know, it was still a life-threatening situation at the time this video went viral. But I think it did so much damage to the credibility of hurricane coverage for Florence specifically that there should have been something more powerful that came out that said, okay, this is not faking. This is not what happened. Like, this is the reality. And this was a really serious storm. Here's why. And maybe try to explain it unless they couldn't explain it. I don't know. But I would have liked to have seen an official statement from Mike Seidel himself saying, okay, this is what happened. And then I would have gladly shared it. And I'm sure a lot of other people would have retweeted it. And people would have, it would have gone viral in and of itself, an explanation as to what happened from the man in the video, which is him, you know? So that, I would have liked to have seen that, um, but I didn't. And, you know, but maybe it's someone we could blame if we wanted to was well, a person who took that video and posted it and it went viral on social mm. media because it was because yeah. it was clearly taken out of context right and obviously it was meant to be funny i mean i'm not gonna lie i laughed really hard when i saw that and i showed my coworkers and they laughed too they're like wow like that looks really bad and you know there was other videos and photos of like anderson cooper who was also oh, covering yeah. the hurricane but Somebody I think they found out photo. those were, yeah, they were Yeah, old, they pulled an yeah. old photo from Hurricane Ike that hit, I think, in 2008 or a long time ago. And they try to say, like, oh, he was standing in a ditch, which was a lot lower than the rest of the road. So it makes it look more dramatic. Mm-hmm. But then the point of it is, like, it doesn't matter where you're standing. It's just, like, the body of water can be a lot deeper in certain places, which is what you're trying to convey. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's really, really uh, unfortunate that this video got taken out of context and made... Mike Seidel and Weather Channel and all of you know Florence coverage looks so terrible and yeah. um, not as serious as it actually was the storm itself. Yeah, I think to your point about Mike Slidell about um, why he hasn't put out a statement or anything, it's probably some sort of PR thing that's going on within the Weather Channel themselves about what do they do, and I'm sure they have a PR company that tells them the best thing to do, and that's probably why they issued the statement that you were talking about. Um, But I think it's important that we take away from this that it doesn't matter what actually happened. It's what is kind of conveyed in the video or in the story. Yeah. So like in this era of fake news, you can show one thing with a video, but another thing could actually be happening. So it's, it's really difficult to understand completely what's going on versus what is being conveyed to you. So you need to make sure that you are paying close attention to the source and the type of information that's being shown to you and really take that information into consideration for sure when viewing things on the interweb but you know it's not all bad uh bad news for the weather channel they actually there was some really good graphics that were put up um augmented reality i think is what they call it and they've really been working on this idea for a couple of years now but to finally see something being done about um tropical storms and surge storm surge there was some awesome, awesome visualizations of what it looks like when you have a one-foot storm surge versus a three-foot storm surge versus a six- or nine-foot storm surge. They had a meteorologist stand, you know, in a location in the studio, and then they were able to superimpose on, you know, a visualization of a neighborhood and the meteorologist standing in that neighborhood and then saying, okay, one foot of water, like, it, you know, sure enough, you're wading in the water a little bit. And then three feet of water, like you're practically going to be underwater at that point. And, you know, water is going to go into your home, cover all the streets. 
in six foot, nine foot water, et cetera, et cetera, the higher it goes, you can't even see the neighborhood anymore. These were really realistic. It made it look as if they were standing right there. And this was pretty true to what actually happened in a lot of places in North Carolina. Some of those inlets and waterways where the storm surge pushed all the way in, they flooded, you know, I don't know what they verified at, but definitely at least nine feet in some places. And there are a lot of other places that are completely underwater. So kudos to them for developing that kind of visualization. We've been talking about that a lot in the weather community of how can we convey storm surge to people and make them take it seriously, but also allow people to see what it would look like. One idea I'd heard in the past was to take local landmarks in a community and then use GIS or something to understand how high that building is and then you know overlay a layer of water over that building or that landmark in the community to show what it would look like if there was so much you know storm surge that occurred. And so I think that's a great idea to do it. And then now the Weather Channel having such a, uh, a wide reach and a large audience they can convey that information. People will take it, you know, hopefully, seriously. Hopefully, it's not one of those things where they're like, wow, that looks so cool, but people don't actually take action. Hopefully, they'll be like, wow, that's so cool. I now understand my risk, and then I'm going to get out. Yeah, I think that this, the use of augmented reality, which if you're not familiar with what it is, it's basically like you're using some sort of uh, real world image, but you're kind of portraying something onto it. Um, so a lot of people use, if you are familiar with Pokemon Go, that used augmented reality um, in order to find the Pokemon and catch them and such in your own <laughs> Yeah, uh, like environment. Um, but I think when it's used in this context, it really helps people visualize what it means to be under a certain amount of storm surge. Because I mean, even for me, like I struggle with like lengths and heights and stuff like it's hard for me to physically understand what that's going to look like. And when we get into this like 12 foot kind of area like that just seems crazy. Like, how are we even going to see that? It just seems kind of like out there, like there's no way that can happen. But when you actually see someone being like water, that's twice the height of an individual, it really puts it into perspective, like, holy cow, 12 foot of storm surge. And that's what's being forecast for my area. Like, I have to get the heck out of here real quick. Yeah. Um, so I think that just like you said, like using augmented reality for landmarks and in these graphics is really kind of outstanding. And it's a, it's like a push forward in risk communication of thinking through how can we make people experience these conditions without making them actually experience them? Yeah, because that's a big thing with uh, getting people to evacuate from hurricanes is a lot of people will evacuate the next time if they actually go through a hurricane and experience it and see all the devastation for themselves. But with weather, it's really hard to make people go through those experiences because we don't want them to. We don't want them to have to go through that. But yeah. a lot of research has shown uh, especially with risk perception that if you actually have firsthand knowledge or experience of something in the past, then you're more likely to understand it in the future. So it's really bridging this gap of how can we figure out how to make people experience a, kind of a devastating tragedy without making them actually go through it. And so I exactly. think the use of augmented reality and virtual reality is going to be really key in moving forward. There's actually a group here at the University of Georgia that's using virtual reality and kind of this idea of different heights of water to better convey climate change impacts. 
So um, it should be really cool to see a lot of these new technologies being used for risk communication purposes and education purposes moving forward. The question that I wanted to ask you is, we've seen the Weather Channel use augmented reality before. Like they use it similarly for like tornadoes, but also like for tornado and flash flooding. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've seen them use it before. So I'm wondering why in this instance it became so popular. What was so great or different about this time that really made it take off? I think Hurricane Florence, there was a lot of, I don't want to say hype about it. A lot of attention was brought to Florence before it was making landfall. I think after last year in the devastating hurricane season, everyone was kind of on edge. And finally in 2018, when we had a hurricane that was threatening the United States, that came in the name of Florence. And so this became a really big opportunity where the spotlight was shined on those who were covering Florence and the Weather Channel happened to be one of those outlets that was covering it. So -hmm. when they unveiled a new product, it really caught on because I think storm surge is something that people talk about a lot, but they don't really get to visualize as much. And it's not as cool to look at, I guess, as like a tornado (laughs) might be. Yeah. So because it's like it's water rushing in from the ocean because the winds from the hurricanes blowing it on shore. So people think, okay, whatever. It's like water, whatever. It's not a big deal. But it is. And I think them showing the storm surge and how high it could be, I think it's like really mind blowing. Because I think people get like a tornado is very devastating. It can completely obliterate an area and devastate entire, you know, communities. But for storm surge, I think people understand that it can also be impactful. But finally seeing what it actually could look like if you're still there. Because, mm-hmm. like, there was, I think, was it somebody, an official, either with FEMA or somebody else said, you know, those who go through storm surge that stay after an evacuation order has been issued, those who stay and experience storm surge never get to talk about it because they're dead. Ooh, and so, and it was, yeah, that was a very strongly worded uh, statement. But, I mean, kind of true, right? Those who experience that kind of thing, like, they either have to get rescued or things don't go very well for them. So, you know, we don't really hear these stories or see these visuals very much. But to actually see something being depicted using that augmented reality technology, I think really caught on to people. And people were like, whoa, like this is what it is. But also, whoa, this is really cool. Like, people were posting, like, dang, Mother Channel, like, Y'all really stepping up your game. You know, that's, that's, those are some of the comments that I saw. Even I was listening to a morning talk show here in Denver and they were talking about that, saying, like, dang, Weather Channel, like, you're awesome. Like, wow. And I just hope that it isn't just like a cool novelty thing where they're like, wow, it's so cool looking, but right. people don't actually take action. I hope they actually would take action. So it'd be interesting to see if they use it again, if people are like, oh, that's so cool. And, you know, we're going to listen to it as opposed to, oh, seen that already. You know, what's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they'll probably have to get inventive with it and use it, show storm surge impacts in different ways or use different settings or um, different ways to make it a new way of seeing it every time to make sure that the novelty aspect of it continues to remain high. Because I think that this type of graphic, while extremely powerful, could really become uh i don't want to say monotonous but like it could become just very run-of-the-mill pretty quickly yeah um and then it would probably lose a lot of its risk communication aspects (music) 
Okay, um, before we close out the podcast, I want to circle back and talk about the Saffir Simpson scale really quickly because this is such a, a large topic within the community, especially right now after Florence. Everyone's talking about how um, I saw a headline about how the Saffir Simpson scale quote unquote failed us. Um, so I wanted to spend like a couple minutes just kind of going over some of the pros and cons of the Saffir Simpson scale and thinking through ways in the future that we may move toward it or may move away from it or way that ways that we could improve upon it or just brainstorm a bit to make sure that we're paying some attention to this very um, hot topic right now. So the first thing that I wanted to kind of think through is the biggest argument against changing the Saffir Simpson scale is obviously that it only focuses on the dimension of wind, correct? So is there a way that we can kind of integrate flooding um, or rainfall? Um, and so what would that look like or what do you think that would look like? I've actually seen a modified version of the Saffir Simpson scale chart where they actually put on storm surge. I don't, oh man, see, I'd have to go and look back to make sure, but I believe that at one point, maybe, I don't know if it was officially put on there or just, you know, some folks were putting it on there, meteorologists, but uh -huh. the Saffir Simpson scale with the wind categories, right? Like category one, two, three, four, and five, sure. and the wind speeds, the corresponding wind speeds, there was another uh, column in that table that then said, you know, category one could have, you know, one to four feet storm surge. Category two would have this much feet of storm surge. And they had a range of storm surge potential for the different categories. And then after that was, you know, used a little bit at some point in our history, I don't remember when um, it was removed because they said that there was no real correlation between the strength mm -hmm. of the hurricane and the storm right. surge itself. I mean, like, because with Florence, they had it was a category one at landfall, right? Yeah, but, like but 12 then foot storm yeah, surge. 12 foot yeah. plus storm surge, which is beyond way beyond category what one. you know everyone would have thought a category mm -hmm. one could do yeah. so there was no way because there's not necessarily that direct link between the wind speed of the storm and the storm surge it could create which then leads to there's no real linkage between the rainfall that the storm could dump on an area mm -hmm. or um other things as well so it'd be really hard to convey what it is because once you put out something, once we start using something and people have learned to adopt it, it's really hard to go back and say, all right, just kidding. We're not using this whole category system anymore. We're right. going to do something else. But I could imagine a category system that only talked about impacts. But I think that people in the weather community would say, that's not cool because you're taking away all of the science and the weather right. from, mm -hmm. the, from the system, the convention that we've been using for a long time. But... Yeah, because for me, I'm all about the impacts, right? Like for Hurricane Florence, it may have been a category one when it hit, but to me, it would have been a like a category four impact scale. You know, like if we had an impact scale, like a hurricane impact scale, like impact level four or impact level five, or maybe we don't use numbers. Maybe we use words. I don't know. But just thinking out loud, I sure it's hard to imagine that we'd use something different in my lifetime, in our lifetime. But if we really want to start conveying the message, we may need to go back to the drawing table and really look at what we're doing. And we might have to overhaul it. I don't know. That's going to take a long time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of research. But maybe it's worth doing. Maybe it's not worth doing. I don't know. What do you think? 
So kind of along some of your points, some people on Twitter were also kind of thinking about this from a devil's advocate advocate perspective and thinking that, well, the Saffir Simpson scale is well known and people actually act on it and make evacuation decisions based on it. So given that information, is it completely a bad thing? No, it's not. Com- nothing is a completely bad thing because some people right. will act on the information, right? Like, right. Most people I've heard will say, because you know the delineation between a hurricane and a major hurricane. Major hurricane is cat three, yeah. four, or five. Three, four, five. Yeah. So people have said, I've heard before say, I would evacuate if it's a category three or higher, but I'll stay if it's a category two or lower. And so, I mean, that that's great for certain situations, but we always try to convey that it doesn't matter if it's a cat three or lower because any tropical system can be life threatening for you. And so that specific example, I don't think does the Saffir Simpson scale much, um, much good, but there are other things where people I'm sure would say and use that in the, you know, listening to the news outlets and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to leave because of what I heard on the Saffir Simpson scale. I don't know. No. And I agree. I think people are making weather related decisions based on the Saffir Simpson scale. So it makes me question whether can we completely get rid of it if people are already making uh, like satisfactory decisions. But then it goes back to thinking, does the amount of people that are using it successfully outweigh the individuals who are not? Um, And we just don't have that kind of information. But if I were thinking about this, and this is like completely off the cuff, um, if we were to integrate wind and water, it would have to be in such a way where, like you said, they don't depend on one another. So what I'm thinking is some sort of uh, table that like on the Y axis would be water and on the X axis would be wind. And then there would be like four categories for each one. And then you would have like a certain area where you could be like, well, there's this water threat and this wind threat. And then you would put like an X and that would be like the category. But when you start getting into those ways of depicting risk, it gets like hella confusing. (laughs) Um, Just adding a second dimension in itself gives you twice as many options of risk categories. And if we're already at five, then that puts it at 10. So that in itself is a lot of different categories to consider. I can't even wrap my head around it, but I think from kind of maybe a partner or a forecaster perspective, that could be something that maybe gets implemented first is thinking about how are the wind impacts and how are the water impacts and then basing our communication around that somehow. Um, But yeah, that, that would be my idea. It would be almost like an impact table kind of extending your impact hurricane impact scale the his into something that's more two-dimensional which um, again increases the confusion potentially and the complexity of it but it it would kind of account for all possible situations yeah and i think we're already kind of doing some of those impact things like no matter what the category is local broadcasters i always see will say okay here are the categories for wind rain storm surge rip currents etc and it'll be like you know, low, medium, high. And they're all conveying that, but just the fact that the Saffir Simpson scale is so overbearing when it comes to how you describe a hurricane, those, you know, attempts to better convey the impact are being drowned out by the fact that we always use the Saffir Simpson and everyone's always so comfortable about talking about the category. So 
there there's just going to be need to be some research i think that's that's all i can really say i don't i don't know what direction it's going to go in but a change is needed and hopefully somebody's leading that up yeah this would be a great dissertation or master's thesis or grant proposal or um etc etc because this is something that the weather enterprise and the weather community continuously bring up year after year and i think until we start doing some research or something that it's going to be this huge question mark on everyone's kind of field of vision um before we close out i want to leave one last remark about something that rob dale kind of uh, took away and gave to me uh, kind of a point he gave to me on Twitter. We were talking about kind of this idea of the Saffir Simpson scale um, and particularly thinking about how they were talking about the term weakened. And we were trying to think of alternative ways of kind of conveying that headline. Um, and one thing that really came across and kind of struck home for me is this idea of when we're communicating wind and water, the National Hurricane Center only is charged with kind of communicating hurricane force winds and storm surge. They don't really, um, they're not really involved in conveying the chance of falling precipitation. That's the Weather Prediction Center. So that in itself creates kind of this hazard separation of different forecast offices or forecast centers kind of coming up with the forecasts and having to kind of communicate and collaborate together in order to communicate these different hazards that are at play. So in reality, this idea of the Saffir Simpson scale, quote unquote, not working may run deeper than us simply adding water related hazards to the wind scale that's currently at play because it would have to involve two forecast centers collaborating at the same time. So uh, that's just a little nugget and tidbit to walk away from the podcast. So with all that, hopefully you enjoyed some of the conversation and we look forward to talking to you guys about it on social media as well. But until then, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype or send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. We love reviews and we love to hear how we're doing. So feel free to let us know by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play, or any of the apps that you use to listen to Weatherhype. If you have a suggestion for a potential upcoming episode, please let us know and we will be happy to consider those as future topics for you to enjoy. Jeez. <laughs> but, and until next time, until next time. Stay hyped. Stay hyped. Stay hyped.